Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. We are without Joanna this time. She's off doing moving stuff. So instead, we have New Guy. What's up, everybody? You may remember him from our Satanic Panic episodes, as well as being the, I guess, uh... Hype man. <laughs> backup screamer in Pill Brigade. Banging on, clanking on saw blade. Yes, clanker, clanker and backup screamer. There you go. <laughs> and this time, we are going to bring you the wonderful tale of a lovely place known as the Willowbrook State School or Willowbrook Asylum. Oh boy, this one is fun. Oh yes, yes. The school was opened in 1947. There was some debate as to what the facility should be used for. Many believed that it should be used to care for the large number of veterans who had been hurt during the recently ended World War II. It was then New York Governor Thomas Dewey who thought it should be a place for the compassionate care for the developmentally disabled, children and adults. Dewey went out, and in October, when the facility opened, 20 patients were moved in from other upstate New York institutions. This place was open for 40 years, closing down in 1987, and was the largest facility of this sort in the United States, built to hold 4,000 patients and on 375 acres of land. In 1938, the plans were made for Willowbrook to be exactly what it ended up being. However, upon completion of construction in 1942, it was instead used as a military hospital called Halloran General Hospital. It got the name of Willowbrook State School from the area of Staten Island that it's located. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Living in New York is complicated. <laughs> There's like four places you live. Right. It's, 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 it's madness. A lot of people forget that northern New York is a lot like Washington. Everybody yep. thinks it's Manhattan. <laughs> Yep, upstate is is a, a vastly different environment than New York City's. New York City being, of course, mostly concrete. By 1955, Willowbrook had met its patient capacity. By 1965, it was over capacity by about 2,000 patients, and was called a snake pit by Robert Kennedy, New York State Senator at the time. He called for a five-year plan to get this place into a state where the patients were actually being treated well. In 1969, this shithole reached its peak capacity of 6,200 patients of 4,000 that it was supposed to hold, living in deplorable conditions. <laughs> Deplorables, putting it nicely. Yes. Very nicely. <laughs> According to Diane Buglioli, who had worked for Willowbrook for 11 years, each resident was provided with only about 35 square feet of space. This would be a 7 by 5 foot area, or 2.1 by 1.5 meters. To put that in perspective, that's less than the average prisoner is given. Prisons allow for 80 square feet per prisoner. In 1972, Geraldo Rivera, then a news reporter, and journalist Jane Curtin got a tip from a pissed-off employee about how fucked up the place was. The employee also gave Rivera a key to get in. Rivera and a cameraman stuck into Building 6. It didn't take long for them to capture evidence of this place being horrible, evidence that shocked the nation and probably the world. Some of the footage was shown on local news, and it, like I said, shocked the shit out of viewers. Scenes of patients just wandering, aimless. Covered, covered in urine and feces. Middle-aged patients slept in chairs while the younger ones slept on the floor. 
most of the younger ones, or many of them at least, did not have clothing. Geraldo put it really well when he said, this place stinks of death and disease. 60% of the patients were not toilet trained, and 64% could not feed themselves. Geraldo Rivera interviewed a 21-year-old patient with cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is a group of disorders that affects someone's ability to move, and it can be caused by brain damage as a child, certain infections, problem with blood flow, or abnormal development during gestation. There is no known cure, and so all that can be done is treatment and prevention of complications that may arise. And apparently this guy was actually quite intelligent. He, was, he just was slow-moving and slow-talking, and so when he was three, they committed him to the asylum because they thought he was retarded, when really he just had this stupid disease that made him seem retarded. His name is Bernard Carabello, and he, as New Guy said, had been there since he was three. And Geraldo's talking to him when he's 21. So he's been there for 18 years. Carabello told about the staff kicking his head into the wall and beating him with sticks and belts. Not just belts, but the buckle side. And having his head kicked into the wall. Yes, kicked into the wall. He said that most of the children were left completely naked in the day room, and there were many sexual assaults from both residents and staff. A student from Harvard wrote about a summer job he had taken at Willowbrook, with around 300 other college-aged people. There were no interviews. Their job title was recreational aid, and they were only hired to make it look like the facility wasn't horribly, horribly understaffed. The actual ratio was about 50 patients to each staff member. (laughs) And these staff members were, I mean... Well, think about it. These guys, these staff members were raping the inmates. Not all of them. Not Not all of the staff members. Not all of them, nor probably not all the residents either. No, that would be a lot of work. In general, enough of them were doing it to where it was a problem. (laughs) If any of them are doing it, it's a fucking problem. We're talking about they weren't hiring the the best common denominator. No, they weren't hiring people who actually were qualified to work in this position. They were hiring literally anyone who applied. Right. (laughs) It's like... Okay, that's great. (laughs) Which led to some interesting employees that we'll get into in a little bit. Oh, yes, (laughs) yes. The horrors of this place were not limited to neglect and physical and sexual abuse, but also medical experimentation. (laughs) Dr. Saul Krugman studied hepatitis, measles, and rubella. His studies resulted in vaccines for these diseases. Dr. Krugman was first a physician and then a pediatrician. In Willowbrook's first decade, both patients and staff were constantly coming down with hepatitis. Hepatitis is a condition that causes inflammation of the liver, and it can also be autoimmune, where the body makes antibodies against liver tissue. It can also be viral, or it can occur from alcohol, drug abuse, side effects from medications, toxins, that sort of thing. Viral hepatitis is split into five classifications. A, B, C, D, and E. Very original names. (laughs) Type A is normally caused by eating or drinking things contaminated with feces of a person who is infected. So that's like if someone doesn't wash their hands and they have hepatitis and then they serve you something and then you get hepatitis. Now, this isn't the chronic hepatitis. This normally resolves itself. 
which leads into how Mr. Krugman decided he was going to go about his experimentation. Dr. Krugman. He didn't Dr. go to Krugman. He didn't go to medical school to be called Mr. Krugman. My bad. <laughs> the guy is an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell us? Well, as Nate said, hepatitis can be transferred through the feces. So Krugman decided to take a pool of, what was it, 60 people? Uh, 60 of the residents. And he decided that he was going to study them. To give them hepatitis, he decided to take feces from residents that already had hepatitis and decided he would just conveniently mix it in with their food and their chocolate milk. These were literally all children. Yeah. He only did this experiment on children. And mind you, with no consent, not their consent, they couldn't consent anyways because most of them have disabilities. They're also under 18, and in most states, your medical age of consent is 18. And he did not bother to, con you know, consult with their parents either. Now, he did. they did obtain cons uh, consent from all of the parents, maybe not before he started doing the experimentation. But they did all receive consent. Now, it wasn't all exactly informed consent. And a lot of times it was coerced consent, such as we don't like this. This place is full unless you enroll your child in the hepatitis study. And so desperate parents would then enroll their children in the hepatitis study. And being ever the gentleman, he also said, hey, they're going to get it anyways. At least this way we can study them and give them the care that's not available anywhere else in the United States. Right. After I force this shit down your throat. Literally shit. Infected shit. Yes. Mixed into your chocolate milk. I mean, hey, you know, it's chocolate milk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Type B hepatitis is a chronic condition that is passed along through infected body fluids. So sex or blood, you know, whatever. Type C is similar to B. And it's actually the most common blood-borne viral infection in the United States. That's the one that uh, uh, junkies get stuff, right? Uh, they get B and C. And I'm sure D, too, because type D is caused by type B and cannot exist without it. This is a very serious liver disease, and, but it's actually quite uncommon in the United States. Type E, also uncommon in the United States, is a waterborne disease. So that's common in places with poor sanitation. Hepatitis occurring from alcohol, drugs, medications, and toxins just happens because those things attack the liver tissue directly, causing inflammation. Those with hepatitis may experience flu-like symptoms, fatigue, dark pee and pale poop, abdomen pain, weight loss, appetite loss, and then yellow eyes and skin. Chronic hepatitis comes on more slowly, so sometimes you don't even notice the symptoms until it's like right up on you. Like I said earlier, type A can resolve itself as can type E, though there is a vaccine available for type A and B. Other treatments include antiviral drugs. So like you said, I mean, it's true. People were coming down with hepatitis there. About 90% of them were coming down with hepatitis. But this doctor pushed that over to 100% of them 100. getting hepatitis. So it's true that a lot of them were getting exposed anyway. It's true that they received parental consent. That's why it caused so much controversy that, you know, a lot of good came out of it, but just the way it went about it was just fucked up. And it's also completely unethical to use institutionalized people in medical experiments. There is that. There was the literally no medical reason to use the children. There were a th around a thousand adults at the facility. They could have, if, if they really needed to do this experimentation, 
they could have done it on, on adults, not children. The reason that Willowbrook was swimming with hepatitis was because of unsanitary conditions and overcrowding. Instead of fixing the problem, these disgusting fuckfaces decided to conduct medical experiments. And they went on from 1956 to 1970. <laughs> Krugman was in charge of this, and he said there was no additional risks to the subjects. No additional risk to the subjects. <laughs> and then the experimentation lowered the risks of serious complications, plus they get immunized. Now, if only we could find a way to protect the residents against the belts and the kicks and the boots. Yeah, no and, shit. The... <laughs> and it is, of and course— And the sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, all of it. They should be treated with care and compassion. Or at least mix your sexual assault in with your milk chocolate, you know. Something. And no, <laughs> no shit in that milk chocolate. It's also, of course, uh, illegal to perform medical experiments on children regardless of consent. Now, unless the... it is in the interests of the child. And that was one of the parts that I was wondering about is, was it illegal up to that point? And then that point is what caused us to have the laws now. I'm not sure on that. I believe that most of the laws that came out of this all involved uh, people with disabilities hmm. and not just children in general. I'm pretty sure, although he didn't face any charges. For I know anything, it was unethical. So... And oh, there was unethical. a lot of there was a lot of doctors around the world that said, uh, you know, hey, this is unethical. Quit doing this shit. But there was also doctors that said, hey, we're getting a lot of good research out of this. You know, that brings me to the last point. The responsibility of a physician is to each individual patient, regardless of the benefits to humanity. Yep. So maybe if they did all this fucked up, like jammed shit down these kids' throat, they can benefit humanity. But that's not what they're there to do. That's not what physicians do. They're there to take care of each individual patient. And so that's, you know, not really what happened here. <laughs> And no, Krugman did not get into trouble for it. Uh, if you look at his like medical profile or whatever, he's dead now. He died in, like I think, 2004 or something. 2004 or 2005, something like that. Yeah, it doesn't mention anything about these experiments. I, I That doesn't surprise me. And apparently he defended his practices all the way up until his death. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, fuck him. <laughs> I, I'm sure that we would have gotten those vaccines without torturing thousands of children eventually yes and i mean it's just it's just ridiculous you know who else did shit like that the freaking nazis <laughs> yeah oh and the tuskegee experiment the syphilis yep. experiment where they we did an episode on that where they just let a whole bunch of black men have syphilis and just have it and they gave them syphilis and let them spread syphilis and just never told them they had syphilis, even when they got to the point where they could just wash them with antibiotics, get rid of that shit. They did not. Because they wanted just, to see what would happen. They wanted to see what would happen. And people wonder why Americans don't just trust everything doctors say. I'm not saying that all doctors are bad. I'm saying we have these really, really, really fucked up black marks in medical history that wool was pulled over the eyes of, of tons of people and harm was done. And that's not what doctors are supposed to do. In fact, doctors are supposed to do no harm. 
I believe they take an oath where they say they're going to do no harm. The Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. So. I will take care of you. Again, it's not all doctors. It's not even a majority of the doctors. But in a field like medicine, you got to be better. You're, you've got to – there's got to be a higher standard and you've got to hold yourself to that because it's not just your reputation that you're harming and it's not just your patients that you're harming. It's the reputation of medicine that you're harming. And in doing so, you're causing – you're possibly causing thousands of people to be harmed because they don't trust medicine. Yep. I mean, Giving the them physician. evangelicals more ammo to say, hey, look, science is bad. Yeah. I mean, look at the position we're in now where people straight up disbelieve that this virus is deadly and even exists. <laughs> it's it's madness because where people I are... understand thinking numbers are inflated, but to straight up think it's a lie, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, what, you think the whole world's in on it? <laughs> To listen to the advice of someone who has no clue what they're talking about over the advice of someone who has studied infectious diseases for the past 40 years, you know, that's where we're at right now because of these bad apples in medicine that have done fucked up shit like this. You know? Horribly fucked up things. It's because of events like, well, that happened at Willowbrook and, and at and the Tuskegee. Tuskegee. It's, that's, yep. that's part of what's put us into the place that we are now. It took about two months after Rivera's TV special was aired for the parents of the patients to file a class action lawsuit against Willowbrook. But it would still be 15 years before this hellhole was shut down. There were many violations that the lawsuit addressed. Confining patients for indefinite amounts of time. Confining patients to beds and chairs. Failure to provide habitation. Lack of education programs such as speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, inadequate clothing, inadequate meals, inadequate facilities, you know, bathrooms and the like, inadequate medical facilities, incompetent staff, failure to release patients eligible for release. That gives me fucking goosebumps. Yeah. Especially no, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. We don't think you're ready yet. <laughs> and the education. It was billed as an educational school yeah it was called a school i believe that if the students were compliant and wanted to do schooling they would teach them for a couple hours a day for a yep. time but that's only for the patients that were straight up wanting to do it the list of violations goes on the lawsuit was to get conditions improved immediately this meant getting all the medical facilities up to scratch Hiring people who weren't a bunch of fucking miscreants, <laughs> you know, providing educational services, clothes, decent food, basically teaching they, people how to wipe their ass. They didn't want this place to make a zoo look like a luxury resort. You didn't want to go into a monkey house at a zoo and be like, damn, this looks like a fucking fine place to go. Because at this point, that is exactly what you would think. In 1974, the name was changed to Staten Island Developmental Center. And the number of patients was reduced to 300 in expectation of the Willowbrook Consent Decree, which was signed the following year by Judge Orrin Judd. This forced the state of New York to reduce the number of patients down to 250 by 1980, so they're pretty much on their way there. New York also had to spend $2 million to build 200 places for patients transferring into or out of Willowbrook to stay. 
This was to be in the form of hostels, halfway houses, hotels, group homes, etc., you know, so that people weren't just going straight out into society or weren't coming straight into the place. You know, they had a place to kind of transition, you know? I think a lot of them that didn't have a place to go ended up down in Soto. I see them on a daily basis. Oh, right. (laughs) That would be an area of Seattle for those of you who are not in Seattle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The reason that this shithole wasn't just closed down is that the patients had a right to be protected and cared for humanely. And I mean, they're humans, right? Yeah, and they needed they needed to be someplace. A review panel was also established, which was made up of seven people who would oversee the change from hellhole to hospital. In September of 1987, the Staten Island Developmental Center was closed for good. This building is currently the location of the College of Staten Island, <laughs> which is super fucking weird. They're like, oh, Ironic. it's a college. <laughs> it's like on Lake City Way, you know, uh, one of the roads around here, there was this sex shop you'd go in there and there by your porn or your like sex toys you know there was a like one of the the jack off rooms or two of the jack off rooms in the back was called taboo video i believe oh i went there many times in the middle of the night they (laughs) sold nitrous you know huffing nitrous was cool plus it was fun to people watch there in the middle of the night after you had a couple of beers (laughs) oh man and so they knocked this place down well i don't they didn't knock it down they just the the porn shop moved out and a Thai food restaurant moved in. <laughs> I could never eat at that Thai food restaurant. I mean, for I, I don't think there's enough bleach on the planet to clean the filth of that area. And it's not the porn. It's the spilling of seed all over in the back of the room that I'm sure. And the quality of individuals that used those viewing booths. <laughs> oh, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. It's just, <laughs> oh, it's it's not good. Some good did come out of Willowbrook. Shockingly, in 1975, the Developmental Disabilities Assistance and Bill of Rights Act and the Education for All Handicapped Children Act was passed. These, along with the Civil Rights for Institutionalized Persons Act of 1980, outlined a protection and advocacy system which led to the creation of the Americans with a Disabilities Act of 1990 ADA. So, So you know, we get something good out of it. So that's a good thing. Because just because you're disabled doesn't mean you're not a fucking human, you know? No, there's very little that makes you not a human. Uh, You are not a human if you're a pedophile. Fair enough. I think that (laughs) if you kill enough people, you're not a human. But it's got to be quite a few people. John Wayne Gacy might... might, Not a human. Yeah, he might fit into there. There's many, many people. Andre Chikatilo. Right, yeah. 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 Night Stalker. Baron Gilderays. Yeah, a lot of a lot of shitheads out there. Countess Bathory. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Cropsy. Cropsy. Speaking of. Cropsy's a madman. A maniac. An escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand. Stalk around Staten Island, hunting children and absconding with them to tunnels that lay beneath an old tuberculosis sanatorium called Seaview Hospital. An urban legend around that Staten Island area that has actually existed for a long time. The urban legend has been around for a long time. Um, but it just so happens to tie into Willowbrook. In 1987, so shortly after the facility closed, Jennifer Schwieger, 12-year-old, went missing. She had Down syndrome, which is when extra genetic material on the 21st chromosome causes a variety of conditions, including developmental delays and intellectual disabilities. 
It was a bit over a month before the authorities found her body in a shallow grave on the grounds of Willowbrook. They found a man living on, on the school grounds in a makeshift campsite and charged him with murder. This man was called Andre Rand, and if you look at a picture of him, he is a fucked up looking dude. Yeah, his, his arrest picture and he's drooling from the mouth. Ugh, man. This was not the first run-in he'd had with the law. Not at all. In 69, he attempted to rape a nine-year-old, for which he was sentenced and served 16 months in jail. He raped, he had tried to rape a nine-year-old, and they only gave him a bit over a year. In 1983, he kidnapped a busload of children from the YMCA and drove them to the airport, which... Well, he did, he did get them something to eat. It is said that they stopped at White Castle and got burgers. Oh, well... <laughs> right? <laughs> it still sent him back to jail for a while. He was suspected in the disappearance of Alice Pereira, 5, in 1972, Holly Ann Hughes, 7, in 1981, who was actually seen with this motherfucker the day she was last seen. Isn't she the one that he pulled into his Volkswagen? I believe so. Yeah. Tia Heath Jackson, 11, in 1983, and Hank Gaforio, 22, mentally disabled, and last seen with Rand at a diner in 1984. There was not enough evidence to even charge Rand with any of these disappearances, and the bodies have never been found. Of course... Except for the one uh, the one that he got busted for. They found right. her body. Yes, yeah, it was the four that I just mentioned. Their bodies were never found. Never found. Of course, the jury was unable to convict this piece of shit of murder. Just kidnapping. Now... That gave him 25 years. Yeah. He could have been up for parole in 2008. But in 2004, more evidence was uncovered. And you might wonder, how does this tie into Willowbrook? Well, besides finding his campsite and the body around Willowbrook, he was also employed as a custodian during the 60s there. Yes. Remember so, how they'd hire fucking anybody? Yeah. That whole lowest common denominator is what they were shooting for on the resumes. And they got it with Andre here. The evidence that was uncovered, well, he was a real fuckface, and he told in detail about his abduction of Holly Ann Hughes. He told it to his cellmate. His cellmate told it to the authorities. This gave him another 25 years in prison. Now, he is eligible for parole in 2037, when he'll be 93. He is still alive right now. So, he told his cellmate. Now, see, what he's not thinking about is most of them prisoners, the one thing they won't, they might kill people, they might rob and steal and stuff, but the one thing a lot of those prisoners is not going to put up with is someone fucking little kids. <laughs> or really, I mean, not just fucking them, but killing them, harming them. Yeah. Most human beings have this thing where they don't want to hurt children. It's something that many animals have. It's built into our DNA. It's, it's why... It's for survival of the species. Exactly. And so when someone does not have this, that's a basic part of humanity that most people think, you know, other people have. And it's just, you know, it's not good. You know, you don't want those types around. That's the problem with psychopaths, though, is that they do not have any empathy. They have no feelings. They, it's not, they, they don't have love or hate or anger or the feeling of 
security and safety and protection, they feel nothing. That's the problem. Emotionally nothing, yeah. That is that the is, problem. Uh, that, is, that is, in fact, a problem. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things they said about Ted Bundy is what made him such a calculated killer is because he was extremely intelligent and, you know, good-looking guy. And so he caught people off guard, and he could pretend to have emotions, but he literally felt nothing whatsoever. You know, if you, re- if you listen to those Ted Bundy tapes, it's crazy listening to that guy. Oh, and I'm sure a lot of those those guys who killed all those people, it's very similar with most of them. I'm sure most of them don't really feel any remorse. Otherwise, they wouldn't continue to do it. If it felt bad, they wouldn't keep doing it. But for them, it doesn't feel bad. Now, unlike Ted Bundy, looking at this picture of Andre Rand, there is no way you could ever mistake that this guy is fucked up. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. He's... <laughs> I mean, he's he's got that look about him. He's definitely got that look about him. Picture the worst redneck horror movie you've ever seen. This guy, this guy, he is the main protagonist. <laughs> they actually made a movie about Cropsey, uh, not just the documentary, uh, but there was a movie made in 1981 called The Burning. I've never seen it, but it's, you know, the basic boogeyman story that, you know, if you're a kid, this guy's going to get you if you don't. <laughs> do stuff and it was just weird that this guy actually showed up and i mean he wasn't the urban the folkloric cropsy but he certainly put himself into that position or into that role yeah there was actually there's actually a lot of cropsies over the years dating all the way back to the late 1800s there was a guy where the actual name came from a guy named jasper cropsy and that it came from, and he was a real winner also. But yeah, there's over the years, but then it came to be that Andre epitomized everything that the Cropsey urban legend was about. And that place, the old tuberculosis sanatorium, was close to Willowbrook. Yeah. So really, it's just super weird they put all this. I, I guess it's not really that weird that they put all the medical facilities like this in kind of the same area. No. That's yeah, pretty common. But it's strange that there's a, you know, looking into the history of Staten Island in that area, there's a lot of weird shit that's gone on there. That's a very strange area of New York. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of, I mean, it's the oldest part of this country. It's also the oldest parts of this country. I guess Virginia is the oldest, but still, it's a very old place. And as far as white people are concerned, and I'm sure there was crazy shit that went down with the natives in the area. It's really close to where the Sleepy Hollow legend comes from, too. Yep. And there was lots of witch things that happened. I mean, not in Staten Island, but in the Northeast area and all kinds of legends about the Knights Templar coming to that area. And I'm sure that's probably where Vikings first landed in North America. Just. It's an old place. I'm not surprised that there's weird shit that goes on there. Makes me want to go. Yeah, I'm not so into it (laughs) these days. You know, it's real concrete, (laughs) riddled with C-virus. Yes. Would have to wait two weeks until you got there to actually uh, do anything. anything. So by the time you got there, your vacation's up. Definitely not going there. 
Nor will I be visiting Sturgis this year. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Won't be visiting any place where uh, there's a whole shitload of people. Who don't believe in masks or the virus. Right. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add about Willowbrook? Nah, man, I'm just glad I never attended that school. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'd rather get my Hogwarts letter and not my Willowbrook letter. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I know this is a shorter one, but thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out on all the social medias we're on. It's either Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. You can also check out our Patreon site, patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast. For a dollar, you can just tell us that you love us. For $3 a month, you'll get ad-free episodes. And for $5 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month. Next episode, we'll be back with another guest. But Joanna should be back next month. So with that, I will talk to you next time. Later. Later.